Well, guys, we are starting a new series this morning called Wonder, and we're going to be talking about some different things that should cause us to wonder and cause us to be in awe of God. But I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. It may seem like a very simple question, but I want you to, I want you to actually think about it for a moment, and that is this, why are you a Christian? Why are are you a Christian? And, and maybe to follow up with that, why did you come to church this morning? Why, if you do, do you follow the Bible? And you might think at first, well, that's, that's simple. You know, that's a simple question. But the reality is, is that people bear the name of Christian for a lot of different reasons. Uh, people come to church for a lot of different reasons. People read their Bible for a lot of different reasons. And I think even though it seems like a simple question, it's one that's worth pondering uh, over and over again, exactly why am I a Christ follower? Why have I built my life around this book called the Bible? Why do I show up to church every Sunday? Is it religious duty? Is it, is it because of something? Is it a moral, you know, code that I think I'm supposed to be following? Is it because my life is better when I do right things? Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that follow God for that reason. They try to follow the Bible for those reasons because they, they figured out that when I live according, halfway according to the laws and, and morality of the Bible, that things seem to work out better in my life. My marriage, my relationships, my finances, my family, my kids, things sort of seem to work out better because, and, and so even people then that are not Christian will still sometimes follow the morality of the Bible because we've learned it's good to not kill, steal, right, and, and, and harm one another, to love your neighbor, those kinds of things. So people follow that, but look, there's a lot of people that follow that and even people who bear the name of Christian who are not actually in love with Jesus, Okay, they, 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 they come to church, they do the religious thing. They're not in love with Jesus. Because some, some, some of them do not even really know Jesus. They don't even know the Son of God. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about why it is that you are following Christ. Is it because you're afraid of going to hell? Is it because you believe there is a heaven and a hell and, and I don't want to go to hell so I try to do right and live right? Or let me ask you, do you actually love Jesus just for who he is? Not for what he can do, not for what he has, but just for who he is. Do you love God and follow God like that? I'm going to tell you as a pastor, many times, I, even as a pastor, I come back to this over and over again. Because if we're not careful... Our relationship with God can become very quickly, it can be built around and centered around what He can do for us, all the good things and benefits that we get from being a Christian and going to church and following the moral code, all that He can do for us, and also what you can do for Him. It can become centered around that too. And so a lot of our prayers end up centering around, God, how do I need to change? What do I need to do? How can I be more useful for you? How can I do your will in my life? Look, all of that's good. Okay, what he can do for you, what you can do for him, but do you know any healthy relationship can't be built around that? 
Any healthy relationship can't be built around what you do for me and what I do for you. At a certain point, it has to be, I love you for you. When you're doing all the right things, when you're not. When you're, when you're useful to me and, and, and helpful, when you're not. I just love you for you. How many of you know that that's what our marriages should look like? I love you for you. Good, bad, sickness, health, better, worse. I love you for you. And it's not because of what you can do for me and all the wonderful things that you do for me. If you stop doing them tomorrow, I'm still going to love you because of who you are and the commitment and the vow that I've made to you. But I've seen a lot of Christians that the moment they feel like God didn't do something for them, they don't love him anymore. They don't follow him anymore. They quit going to church altogether because something bad happened. They don't understand. And they go, well, I don't know why God would allow that. And I don't know why things worked out this way. So your relationship was built around what he could do for you. And the moment he stopped doing what you thought he was supposed to do, now you're not in relationship with him anymore. But I got news for you, too. There's a, there's a whole other group of people that they're always worried about what they can do for God. And it's always centered around, God, I'm not doing enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading enough. I'm not serving enough. I'm not giving enough. And I just want to do more, God. I want to do more for, for you. Listen, do you know that God loves you more than what you can do for him? Your relationship with God can't be centered around just what you can do for him. He loved you long before you did anything for him. And he wants to be with you, not just for what you can do. He loves you just for you. If you weren't able to do one single thing or offer one single thing to the kingdom, he loves you. And he wants to be with you just for you. This is the type of language that we see in Scripture. And so what helps me when I'm wrestling with these things and, and meditating and thinking on these things is I like to find aspects of God they don't have anything to do with, you know, what he can do for me or what I can do for him and, go, and just meditate on those things because it causes me to be in awe and in wonder of him just as God. Look, there's enough things to be amazed about uh, with God, just who he is, apart from what he can do. There's enough things to be in awe about just who he is. And, one, and so in this series, what I want us to do is I want to give you a few things that cause me to just be in awe of who God is. And when I meditate on these things and think about them, I'm intentionally separating myself from what I can do for God and what he can do for me. And I'm, and I'm focusing on the aspect of the relationship when I'm in prayer, when, I, when I'm going in prayer um, and I'm thinking about these things, I'm intentionally not asking him for anything and I'm intentionally not talking about what I can do for him. And that's hard as a pastor. I'm just going to let you know because I, I have to go to him a lot and go, God, what am I supposed to be preaching? All right, how am I supposed to help this person? All right, what are we supposed to be doing this year? All right, God, what's next? All the time. And so to set that aside and go, God, that's not why I'm here today. I'm not here to find out what I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm not here to find out how I'm supposed to be leading. I'm not here to find out how I'm supposed to solve this problem. I'm here today just to fellowship with you. I don't need you to do anything for me. You don't need anything from me. We're just here to, to talk and, and just be in fellowship. How many know God loves that? And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't know how many sons and daughters that God really has that, that takes the time to do that with him. And one of the things that helps me with that is when I, there are certain aspects of God that just calls me to almost shut down in a positive way just because my mind just starts to fizzle. And I go... And as I meditate and as I think on it, it just causes me to 
just put him in such a high place of worship and honor. And one of those things that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk about several throughout this series, but today we're going to talk about the fact that we serve an eternal God. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. You know, a lot of people serve God because it's a commandment taught by men. There are a lot of people that serve God because they were just raised in church. That's what their parents did. That's what their grandparents did. And they just feel bad if they don't go. But he said, look, there's a, there's a, a significant portion of people. They draw near with their mouth. Yes, they say the right things. Okay, they, they honor me with their lips. He said, but their hearts... Their hearts are far, far from me. And they, they fear me, but it's only as a commandment taught by men. I don't want us to serve God that way. Amen? So as we spend time wondering and, and being in awe of God, I want us to read this passage from Job chapter 38, verse 4. And, and as you turn there, I want to read this definition of what wonder is, because that's the title of our series is Wonder. One definition, it says, wonder is a feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar. It involves being curious and in awe about something, often leading to a desire to explore, learn more, or understand the subject of wonder better. Isn't that an amazing, wouldn't that be an amazing thing for all of us to do with God? Just to spend time wondering about his greatness. It says it's inspired by amazement, admiration, caused by something that's beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar. In other words, to just to spend time looking at and exploring who God is and let those things cause us to be humble and in awe and amazed of who he is. Job chapter 38, verse 4, God sort of encourages Job to do this. He's, he's talking with Job and, and Job has gotten a little too high on his horse and in verse 4 God says to Job he says where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements surely you know or who stretched the line upon it and if you read this whole chapter he's asking these kinds of questions to Job. One of the questions he asked him is you know, who filled the oceans up to its limit and said, all right, that's, that's enough? And who told them that the waves could only come so far and, and no further? He said, were you there when that was set in motion? You know, we can walk around living on this planet like we got it all figured out. Because from birth, you start figuring things out, right? Don't touch this. It's hot. You know, oh, if, if, if I run with no shoes on, I might stub my toe. If I drop something, it might break. You start figuring this all out pretty quick. And you could, you could just go through this life like you got it all figured out. How many know there's still a lot we don't know? A lot we don't understand. A lot to be in amazement about, about the processes and even science that God has created. For example, for example have you ever stopped to think that existence itself is impossible? Just think about it. Everything that we know about science, okay, everything that science tells us of how things are and, and should be, anything existing at all is impossible without God. 
right? Because there had to be a beginning. And if you go, no matter how many millions, trillions, billions of years you try to attach to it, you keep going back, you go, okay, well, there was a rock. Okay, well, who created the rock? Oh, well, you know, there was some dust. Okay, well, who created the dust? Well, you know, there was like some little flake atom or, or something. Well, well, who created that? And it just seemed like in humans' minds, the smaller they went, the more plausible it was. You know, well, you know, there's atoms. And, but then when we started being able to explore the atoms, we're like, well, there's a whole universe inside the atom. There's a whole universe inside the cell. It's just, it doesn't matter how small you go, it's, it's magical, it's, it's infinite, it's, it's infinitely impossible to understand. And so it doesn't matter how far or how, how far back you go or how small you go, it's impossible that something can come from nothing. And no matter how far you go back, you're going to always arrive at this place that there had to be a beginning. One time I was listening to a conversation between a famous uh, scientist and atheist and this, this conversation was happening. And they kept asking them those same questions. Okay, well, who created that? All right, well, where did that come from? Where did that come? And finally, this atheist person said, well, you know, we don't know for sure, but we're beginning to think that it's possible that life was seeded here by aliens. <laughs> and I thought, that's interesting that you could believe in aliens, but you can't believe in God. You know why? Because you have no accountability to aliens. You have, there's no ju you're not in danger of any judgment with aliens, but with God, you're, if there's a creator that created you, you're accountable to him. And you're going to give an account for your life to him. So we don't, it's not that God is not plausible. It's not that God uh, is not easy to believe in. It's that it's not convenient for someone who doesn't want to submit to God. But we all know this. Existence itself without God is impossible. Because when you look at science, there is nothing eternal. Everything has to have a beginning, and then everything has an end. Energy burns out, you know, planets burn out, stars die. Everything has a beginning and an end. So no matter how far you go back, you're going to have to come to this realization that if anything exists at all, there has to be something eternal. And everything that science can tell you is nothing is eternal. Nothing that we know of is eternal. No matter is eternal. But you know what is eternal? God. God, the Bible teaches us, has no beginning. Now, I can't explain that. But when I do, it causes me to wonder. When I think about it, it causes me to wonder. When I go, wow, the only thing that exists that is eternal and that has always been here is God. And it causes me to be in amazement and wonder. So something has to be eternal. The best that science has come up with is the Big Bang, okay, which in itself is just seems insanity. You know, there was, you know, if you if you look at it, there's 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 nothing, and then there's like this heat that starts generating in these particles. Nobody talks about where that came from. Don't know, okay, we still have the same problem. But all of a sudden there was an explosion a giant explosion and everything that you see just came into existence. I, I feel like any three-year-old that you talk to can come up with a better explanation than that. But if it did happen that way, it's because God spoke it into existence. I'm not saying there wasn't a point of origin where everything came. It, it was, but what was before that and what caused it? It was God. And so when I, when I think about the eternality of God because 
death is something that is very scary and it is something that we should be afraid of if there is not any if there is not eternal life if there's not a life after that's why you see all of these billionaires today they're trying to figure out ways to live forever you know uh, what's the guy that started Amazon I can't think of his name some of y'all know who Bezos yeah skinny bald guy yeah y'all know what I'm talking about he he's you know he's trying to figure out ways to live forever and you know some of these guys are trying to figure out all these different different ways because you know this money these houses it means nothing if if I'm gonna die and it's all gone all these billions that I've amassed what's the point if I'm just gonna die in like 20 years it's like man let's figure out a way that I can keep living how many know Christians already got that figured out we, we, we've already found eternal life it's it's not pie in the sky it's not a theory it's we have eternal life this life ends and and then the real life begins so I you know we're not afraid to die because for a Christian death is a promotion we get to go be in eternity with the eternal God that's been here from the beginning praise God look at John chapter 1 verse 1 with me it says in the beginning was the Word. Now, you find this out later in Scripture that the Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So you could say the Son, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, the Son, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, look at this, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not a piece of dust, not an atom, not a, not a cell. You know, I, my brain, I'm not, I can't go all the way back to the smallest, you know, infin, infinitesimal things that exist, but all I know is none of them exist without him. And every time we dive in deeper and deeper and we go further and further and smaller and fuller and we, we invent bigger microscopes and larger telescopes, all we find is more things to marvel at and more things to be amazed at. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without him was not anything that was made. How many of you know Jesus did not get his start in Bethlehem? We tell the Christmas story. It's beautiful. And, and from, from a certain perspective, from a certain worldly perspective, well, Jesus, you know, when was Jesus born? Well, Jesus was born in, in a manger in Bethlehem. It's a great story, except Jesus, like God, is eternal. And he was there in the very beginning before a single thing was made. Genesis 1-1 tells us a similar story. In the beginning, we already know from John, Jesus was there too. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for heavens there is universe. It's not In scripture, the word heavens doesn't always apply or always talking about the throne of God where he lives, the city of God. In this case, and in many others, he's talking about the universe. He says, God created the universe and the earth. The earth was without form and void. It means it wasn't this perfect little circle that we see now. It wasn't this perfect sphere that we see now. It was without form and it was void. 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Well, one cool thing about this, and if you study Scripture, you'll find a lot of things like this, uh, that now, of course, you know, Moses, who's writing this, uh, Moses didn't know anything about how planets are formed. And this is one of the beauty, beautiful things about the Bible is, anytime it comments on scientific matters, things of the sky, things of the earth, planets, things of the universe. It's never wrong. And they didn't have any of this information. But what we know about how planets are formed, uh, I'll just read this to you. Planetary formation is a process that begins with a cloud of gas and dust in space known as a nebula. Sounds like being formless to me. That's what, that's what Moses just wrote. He said the earth was formless. It had no form, and it was void, or it was, it was empty. Continuing reading about uh, planetary formation, it says, Over time, gravity pulls the particles in the nebula together to form a protoplanetary disk with a central concentration that eventually becomes a star around this new star. Particles in the disk collide and stick together, gradually forming larger bodies, which we call planets. Well, Moses didn't know any of that. The telescope wasn't invented until the 17th century until they could begin to see some of these nebula and things like that. But here in Genesis 1-1, in the very first verse, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the earth was created, but the earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It begins to tell the story of how He made and how He created everything. Psalm chapter 90 verse 2. It says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. He's eternal. Romans 11.36, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look, just, just think about that one fact. This, this statement, which is said over and over and over throughout the Bible is, there's only one God. I mean, just that fact should cause us to be in awe. There's only one God. I know that people have lots of different beliefs. I know throughout the ages and through the different ages that multiple civilizations served, you know, a, a pantheon. They served multiple gods. Oh, the God of the sun, the God of the harvest, the God of the rain. It says, look, there, he's not saying there's, he's the only spiritual being. Okay, there are other spiritual beings. Satan is a spiritual being. The demons are spiritual beings. Angels are spiritual beings. But there's only one God. And that God is eternal. And that God created every other spiritual being. So everything owes their existence 
to the one source, the one God, God Almighty. And so it, it brings us, it should bring us a lot of peace and it should bring us a lot of humility as we ponder this fact, wow, we serve an eternal God and he's the only God. He has all power, all knowledge and, and then we've been invited into his family to be sons and daughters of this God. It's an amazing thing to think about and ponder. And as, I, and as I think about it, I mean, you can't take these things and, and get by yourself and journal and write and think without it bringing you to tears because of your situation. Now, it's easy to get caught, it's easy to get caught in the day-to-day mundane, oh, we're waking up, brushing our teeth, making our coffee, driving to work, have problems there, get mad at somebody, you know, on the way home, now the kids and wife, the chores, you know, and you're just living the mundane. It's easy to get caught up in that and go, whoa, 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 we are, we are part of a way bigger story. We are part of a, of a way bigger situation going on here, a situation that, that existed how, who knows how long before? I mean, it's infinite that this has been going on. You know, even when we read in Genesis 1, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. We don't really know how long it existed like that before he began to bring form to it. Which is why it doesn't shock me if, you know, I don't know if they're right or wrong, but it doesn't shock me when they look out and they go, Oh, well, the planets are millions of years and billions of years and the universe is this. Oh, well, maybe we serve an eternal God that's been here a long time. And, and it says that he created the heavens and the earth. I don't know how long ago he created that before he decided to put man, before he decided to form the earth and put man on it. I don't know. Uh, maybe there are billions and, and millions of years. I have no idea because we serve an eternal God and it wouldn't shock me. I mean, six, seven billion years to God is kind of like yesterday to him. So it doesn't shock me. And I believe there was a lot going on uh, before man was ever created. We know there's a heavenly realm that existed with, with angels. We know that at some point Satan rebelled <coughs> and, and uh, against God and that uh, he and a third of the angels were cast out. We know that from Scripture. When did all that happen? Well, it happened before anything we read about in the Bible. It happened before man was ever even created. So there's been a lot going on before you and I, and there's going to be a lot going on after. The best part is yet to come. Amen. The earth, the earth and our little short time here, it's just a small piece of it. But praise God, it's not the end. We serve an eternal God who has eternal plans, who lives in an eternal realm that you get to live and be part of forever. And I think to ponder these things, it causes us to break out of this, you know, we, we live, we do not live in an eternal earth. We live in a, in a place where things are dying, things are breaking, things are hurting, you know, even our bodies, as you get older, things ain't working right, you know. And, and you're, you're just inundated with temporal, temporal, temporary, uh, you know, broken all the time. And, it's, and sometimes you miss, whoa, there's something a lot greater going on than that. There's something eternal that's working in the background of all of that. Amen? Amen. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. God introduces himself for the first time in Scripture by his real name. So up until this point, um, he's been called the Lord. He's been called God Almighty, words in the Hebrew, Elohim. Okay, this is the word for God or Lord. 
And up to this point, this is how everybody interacted with God was by those, those names. In other words, generic. It would be like if, you, if uh, as a child you referred to your, to your father as father all the time or, or dad, but you never knew him by his real name. And in, Mo, and in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, it's the first time that God introduces himself to us by his real name, which is Yahweh in the Hebrew. Exodus 3.13, it says, Then Moses uh, said to God, they're having this conversation, and Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's the word Yahweh. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, to hear that with our ears, it sounds weird. My name is I am. That's, <laughs> that's a little odd. But when you really study this word, it's so powerful. Because what he was trying to communicate, it, it, it's so rich and it's so powerful what it, what it literally means. The literal meaning of it means to be. Okay? And, and I, as you, as you study this and, and meditate on it and dig deep into it, you begin to see what God was trying to communicate. What God was trying to say is a few things. First of all, I am with or without you. I am. No matter what people call me. This is kind of what he was telling Moses. Tell them I am has sent me. Because why I am, I don't need you and you can't define me. You can't label me. You can't, you know, we get up and we talk about who God is and what he's like and people just shoot off all these crazy things about God and gods and everything and he says, look, I am what I am with or without you long before you ever existed. Okay, so whatever you call me, just know that I am what I am and you're not changing that. Okay, nothing, nothing you say, preach, write is going to change who I am. Because I am the self-existent one. Meaning, I am the only thing that is not dependent on something else. Every, every single thing that's ever been created living is dependent on something else. I'm dependent on my heart to beat and my lungs to work properly. And, and what is that dependent on? Well, it's dependent on the oxygen that we breathe. And what's that dependent on? And you can keep tracking it back. And no matter how far you track it, guess where it's going? to the self-existent one. Why? Because Jesus said, everything that exists was created by, through, and for me, says God. There's nothing else that is self-existent. Now, humans like to think that, and, and even sometimes they'll be so arrogant to say, well, I'm a self-made man. Nothing is more laughable than that. The Bible says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Okay, you're a self-made man. Okay. Yeah, no, no, you're not. You're, you're dependent. You're, you're helplessly and hopelessly dependent on God. The only self-existent one is God. And that's tied up in his name. When he says, I am, he's saying, I exist. He's saying, I exist, and I'm not dependent on anything else to exist. I am the only self-existent thing in this entire world, universe, realms, whatever else is out there that we don't know about. God is the only thing 
that is not dependent on anything else. It's even hard to say in the beginning. You know, when I read that phrase in the scripture, in the beginning, where was that? I mean, I think in, in, when it says in the beginning, it's talking about the creation of the universe and the heavens. But with God, how do you even talk about the beginning? Where is that? There is no beginning. He's the self-existent one. He's the only eternal one. And so he says this in his name when he says, what is your name? Tell him, tell them the I am has sent you. And so that's his name, Yahweh. In verse 15, he goes on to tell Moses, this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In other words, yes, we call him God. Yes, we call him Father. But this is the name of God, Yahweh. And he says, it's by this name that I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. Because every time you say that name, when you say Yahweh, when you say I am, it's reminding you of his eternality. It's reminding, it's reminding you I'm connected to something that is eternal. It, he was here before, and he's going to be here after. Amen. Amen. You know, I remember <clears throat> in my 20s, I was youth pastoring at a, at a certain church. And one night, uh, and this happened a lot, where we had a youth event. And if you're a parent, just remember this, okay? You know, I, I, just remember this. But we had a youth event, and there, you know, there's 30 or 40 kids but if there's even one kid that doesn't get picked up, the youth pastor has to stay and wait on that one parent to show up. And they don't like you when that happens. Okay, just remember that. That's very aggravating. Okay, but anyway, that's not the point of my story. So as had happened many times, I'm just sitting there waiting for that one parent to show up. And it's, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes past, whenever they're supposed to be there, whatever. And for some reason, I'm just staring up at the sky. And it was a beautiful, clear night, crystal clear. You could see every star in the sky. And I'm sure the kid, I don't even remember which kid was with me, but I, I don't know if we were talking or what, but it was quiet, and I was just staring up, and I was looking at the stars, and I just began to feel so incredibly tiny, so incredibly small. As I looked at the stars, and thinking about these, these lights that you can see that are millions, billions of miles away. Some of them just, you know, light years away that you can see. And I begin to feel so small and tiny. And all of the, the problems that I was experiencing in that moment, all the frustration that I was experiencing of having to be there in, in that moment, it just melted away. And, I, and I'm like, how silly that you're upset about this. How silly that you're even thinking about this as you, as you look up. And I also had this realization of, in a good way, this may seem like a bad thing, but I had this realization of how insignificant I am. And sometimes we make ourselves so significant, like, well, how could they do that to me? Or how could this go and this? And, like, we're just so important. And there was this realization of insignificance of like, hey, you're not that important. There's a lot bigger things going on than your little problem right now. There's a lot bigger world and universe out there. And by the way, there's been generations and generations of generations of people that have lived. And there's going to be generations after you. You're not that important, okay? You're very insignificant in that 
in that sense, in, the, in the, the bigness and the vastness of everything. But what's amazing is that we serve a God that would look at you as just one person and all the billions of people that have ever lived and, and all the things out there in the galaxy and universe, they would just, he would just look at one person and go, you're the most significant thing to me right now at this moment. Isn't that unbelievable that it, from one standpoint, how could you be more insignificant? You're one of just billions of people that ever, but to God, but to God, it's almost as if you're the only person. Because he's not limited the way that we are. It's not, he's not limited to interact with humanity the way that we are. So yeah, when you go to him in prayer, it's as if you're the only person in the world that's praying at that moment. I don't know how that all works. We can ask him when we get there. We've got eternity to figure that out and have conversations. But when, God, when you're talking to God, it's as if you're the only person that exists in his mind. Because he has no trouble fellowshipping with you, being with you, you know, wholeheartedly and completely, while at the same time others are praying and worshiping at the same time, but it's as if you're the only person. That's because he's not limited by the same factors that we are. And I don't remember how all that came to me in that moment, you know, I was just standing with that kid and, and then probably the parent drove up or whatever, and, but just in that little moment, just staring at the stars, taking a second to just wonder and let yourself be in amazement of what God has created. He began to just speak to me and show me those things. And, and God will do that to you. But you've got to take time to do it. We're so distracted. We're so, uh, you know, just distracted by everything that's going on around us. And we have to take time to get alone with God and spend some time in wonder and amazement and in worship. We can do that together as a body of believer during worship. When the worship's going forth, yeah, you can just sit there and you're in your own world thinking about other stuff. You're singing the songs you know. Or you can take time to wonder in amazement and worship God and lift the name of Jesus and think about His greatness and His wonder. And I want to invite you to take time to do that this week. And as we go through this series, because we're going to be in this series for several weeks, I want you to take time during your prayer time this week Okay, hopefully you have time set aside for God each day. But if you do, I want you to set aside what he can do for you, what you can do for him, and I want you to just take time to wonder and be in amazement at who God, who God is. This week, this is one of the things that you can meditate on is what we've talked about. You can take all these scriptures that we've, uh, that we've talked about. If you didn't write them down, the sermon is on YouTube, you can go back, listen, write them down, meditate on those scriptures. Let those scriptures fill your heart. I promise you it'll change the way that you live. It'll change the day-to-day, the, -day, the way that you walk out the day-to-day -day things that are going on in your life. And I want to end with this, this morning. There may be people in here this morning that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. That's, that's possible. And see, this, this eternal life that God has, the, He's self-existent, He's eternal, but then He offers that eternal life to you and I. Every person's going to die a physical death, but then God says, that doesn't have to be the end for you. You can have eternal life. I will give you some of my eternal life I'll invite you into my family as a son or daughter of God. And you might think, well, I don't, 
man, I don't deserve that. Just little old insignificant me. Well, but God counted you significant. And you're so significant that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place to forgive you of your sins that would relieve you of eternal punishment and judgment so that you could be in eternity with him. That's how valuable you are to him. It's a free gift. Every person, it's a free gift. Anybody can accept the free offer of salvation. They can receive eternal life. And you don't have to live in dread of worrying about what's going to happen when I die or what's going to happen now. You can know my eternity is going to be with God, the one who created eternity, who created life.